0: The future sport podcast is brought to you by three advance developers of sports tech apps that are AI powered and UX focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out three advance. They're incredible. Go to three advance.com. That's the number three advance.com.
1: Empire.
0: As sports try to find a way to return, modern tech offers new options for competitive leagues.
2: So we have a number of different aspects of our business where, you know, we have the eSports side where we are competing online with our pilots remote. We also have iconic locations that we've turned into our drone racecourses.
0: That's Rachel Jacobson, the new president of the Drone Racing League, where growth and opportunity isn't being slowed by a pandemic. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Rachel Jacobson spent years in global partnerships at the NBA and is taking that experience with the hope of building a new sporting powerhouse. We recorded our interview with the platform Blinder and you can see clips from it on the Future Sport website. Blinder is giving journalists a high quality video platform to conduct their interviews on the spot. And we're gonna to talk to their CEO, Ross McConnell, about that. There are other winners out there too, despite the pandemic, as that future is now. Well, there are a lot of people in sports that are just waiting, waiting, waiting for things to open back up from the pros to the amateurs in terms of training, in terms of team sports, stadiums, we'll see. And to that end, there are a lot of people losing a lot of money and hoping that the outbreak of the coronavirus can be contained enough to get business going back somewhat as usual. There are some winners here, too. And Scott Nover joins us for Mad Week, and he wrote about TikTok where the headline is sport leagues already were all in on TikTok and then the coronavirus hit. Hey, Scott, how are you?
3: Hey, Bram, uh, Good. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, we don't want to describe this as they're taking advantage of a bad situation, but there are groups that were going to get a boon out of this, and it appears that TikTok is one of them.
3: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't characterize it as them taking advantage of a bad situation. I think it's more so player-driven and league-driven. Um, you know, it's just what they have right now. They don't have live sports. They don't have big impact with people. They don't have um, their primary product, which is uh, live sports um, and very little news coming out of it. So this is what we got. We've got social media. We got so, TikTok. So
0: let's talk about TikTok for a moment. And, and you described it as sports leagues were already all in. Can you kind of talk about where they were before the outbreak hit and, and how they're maybe utilizing it either more or differently now that people are stuck inside?
3: Sure. So, um, initially my colleague and I, David, my colleague David Cohen and I started reporting this story, not really seeing this, uh, coronavirus outbreak on the horizon, something that would shut down all every major sport. Um, so we were just interested in why and how, um, all these sports leagues got established or are getting established on TikTok, which is still a very new and kind of emerging platform, um, you know, in the last few years. Um, and so what we found is basically um, most of the leagues are very new to TikTok, but um, they had been building up their presence, um, their, their primary presence as league accounts uh, for, um, in the case of the NBA, a few years, in the case of the NFL, uh, since uh, August or September, um, and with some variation in between, um, but it allowed Uh, It allowed the leaks to uh, be in a good position now when, you know, they really are just marketing apparatuses for without a product.
0: Um, And take me through a little bit how they see the value in it. it. Is it just that it has a large audience? Because we're talking about very short pieces of content when you're utilizing TikTok.
3: Yeah, and I think it's it's important to contextualize it in you know uh, with other things. I mean, I think more people are familiar with what Vine used to be, um, which are six-second videos. This is a little bit longer. Uh, this is between six seconds and a minute, I believe. Um, and there's a lot of different features and you know uh, ways that you can play around with video and edit video in the app. Um, so what's unique about it is that it's a very creative platform. But in terms of the value, it's really about audience. It's really about who's on the platform. And that's very, very young um, people, teenagers, uh, -teenagers, pre-teenagers. And so it's very heavily female. Most of the leads that we talk to, we're seeing about 60% of their TikTok audience as girls. And for any sports league, that's a pretty magical number. Yeah. All right.
0: So from that perspective, they have to look at it differently from what they're providing, which is different from the traditional type of content that they would provide. And then secondarily, here we are with no games. Everyone's inside. People are doing different things, not the type of typical content you would put out if you're a league or a brand or a team. Um, I know it's early in all this, but have you seen strategy at all change with how they are trying to continually connect with their fans amid this very unusual time?
3: I think what's interesting about that is that a lot of what they need to do right now, they were already doing. Um, when you think about sports on social media, a lot of it is highlights and highlight real videos. Um, obviously you go online, you're sports fan. You want to see the best. You want to see the kind of sports fan or top 10 version of whatever's on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter. Um, but on Across social media and in TikTok in particular, a lot of the social media teams at the league were really zeroing in on the fact that the best content wasn't always the highlight. It was kind of the more human stories, the more lifestyle stories, things that showed players as more than just athletes, but um, as human beings with interesting stories um, and, and sets of music and engaging ways, and um, so it's. It's a little bit more than just you know who's who's got the best dunk or the you know the best sliding catch. Um, and I think that that kind of focus and awareness about how to be most resonant on the platform um, is exactly what they need to zero in on now because there aren't any sports highlights. Like. It's just athletes at home being bored, you know, playing video games, fooling around in their houses, um, and that's what they've got to to market. They have to market these. Players as uh, kind of influencers on
0: this, and we'll see how long this lasts and how their strategy changes if they can't get the games going with or without crowds. Uh, the piece is called "Sports Leagues Were Already All In on TikTok, and Then the Coronavirus Hit" by Scott Nover and his colleague David Cohen for Adweek. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Graham. Up next, Rachel Jacobson, president of the Drone Racing League, on her emerging sport and platform. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our guest this week is Rachel Jacobson, who was recently named the new president of the Drone Racing League, which is a fast growing professional league of racers from around the world. Thanks for being with us, Rachel. Nice to have you here.
2: Nice being with you. Thanks so much for inviting me to join you.
0: Um, I don't really know how to start any conversation these days without asking how are you and your family doing?
2: Thank you so much. Same on this end. First and foremost, I've been checking in with everyone. We are doing okay. Um, Mom started a new job. I'm homeschooling my 10-year-old boy-girl twins, and my husband and I have just taken to a new routine, um, which I found is the key, but we are safe and we are healthy, and we're supporting those in need as best we can during these unprecedented times. You got a big smile on
0: your face, though. You seem to be handling the pandemic pretty well.
2: You know, starting a new job during a pandemic, a lot of questions surrounding that. But, you know, it's definitely been such a bright spot in all of this when I've returned back to sports that has been really my passion throughout my whole career with an incredible opportunity with the Drone Racing League to really build for the sport of the future.
0: Um, what drew you to that position? Why did you want to take that?
2: For me, sports has always been part of my DNA. And when I sat across from Nick Gorbachevsky, the founder and CEO of the Drone Racing League, and he talked to me about the roots of drone racing, what they've accomplished in the past five years, and really the vision for the future when they think about continuing to partner with world-class brands, building a global footprint and fan base and everything that he talked about and wanted to achieve for this company, I knew I could jump right in and really be transformative for their business and embrace, as I always have, technology and innovation. And seeing that through the eyes of my own children, knowing that that is where sports is evolving. So it's such an exciting time and an opportunity. So that's really what got me.
0: Can you share a little bit about of that conversation? Where is the company now? Where was it? And, and where do you see it going in the next three, five, 10 years?
2: Sure. So the Drone Racing League is an organization where we're a global sport. And we've taken the best pilots in the world that are flying the Racer 4, which are drones that we build in-house with brilliant engineers. And they're competing at the highest level. So, we have a number of different aspects of our business where, you know, we have the esports side where we are competing online with our pilots remote. We also have iconic locations that we've turned into our drone race courses. So, think about it as real life video games. And every year when I look at the growth trajectory, whether it was upticks by 200% in viewership to rises in pilot participation and crazy increases in our social media footprint. Um, I just saw we're up you know, over 5,000% on TikTok during the past several months since we've joined that platform. So we have an audience that are tech savvy and innovative Adventure seeking, and we're constantly keeping up with how they can engage with our sport, either in person, online, or on broadcast.
0: Who's the star here? Is it the pilots or is it the technology itself?
2: Well, the good news for us is we can have many stars. Um, When you think about our drones being our kind of like the robotic piece of our business. They are flying, but the pilots really have to direct them. So it's kind of that two-part equation where we have the pilots who are so skilled. Um, This is a sport where you don't have to be genetically gifted to go out and play on an NFL team or an NBA team. You can absolutely rise up the ranks starting on our simulated video game and then becoming a world-class pilot in our league. But the drones definitely, when I toured the office before I joined um, the organization, you have, again, engineers working round the clock on thousands of lights on one drone that goes zero to 90 miles an hour in a second. So these robots... Um, When you think about just how the world is evolving, they are front and center, but clearly need our pilots um, to get them through our courses.
0: Um, As far as the competition goes, so we did a special with NASCAR last year, and clearly things are very rigorous with them, and things are about as uniform as it can possibly be. Um, As you envision this moving forward, do you see individuality in the technology that the pilots could use? Or are you concerned with keeping competitive balance and making the drones as uniform as possible?
2: So for us, definitely making sure that we have you know, a standard tech guideline where they are flying the same drones. How they train may look different, but we definitely will keep an even playing field for now where we are producing the drones that they would fly. Um, But again, it all comes down to training and, you know, what they do to become these world-class athletes.
0: Um, Let's talk about your background a little bit. You said you got back into sports. You were with the NBA for a long time in global partnerships. Um, What do you take from that experience that you're bringing to the Drone Racing League?
2: So spending 21 years at a company like the NBA, first job out of college, and having such an amazing opportunity to train under David Stern, Adam Silver, and Mark Tatum, I could wake up every day Go to work and feel like I was getting mentored from the greatest leaders um, who were brilliant at everything from crisis management to how we should be a great global citizen, not only in the sports space, but really lead by example. And then clearly what was such an undertone was investing in people and making sure that this was a diverse and inclusive organization where you would allow everyone to bring their full selves to work um, and feel empowered and appreciated to be able to progress the business. So I'm going to take all of those great learnings. And opportunities that I had when I think about just always being a fierce um, advocate, not just for women in the workforce, being a, a senior woman in sports, which traditionally had been underrepresented, but also when I think about joining a new organization in a leadership role as the president who are the employees um, that are on my team and throughout this company that I can invest in, bring this same level of guidance and learning that I've taken away as I think about building um, from where we are now?
0: Um, have you given some thought to the packaging of the broadcasts, the streams, and how you want this product pitched and shown to broaden the audience for it?
2: I have. So, you know, even before I joined, I started thinking about who are those dream partners that market so well. What do we want people that have an awareness of drone racing or little awareness of drone racing to really, you know gravitate towards our sport? And the good news there is we're already visually stunning. When you look at these drones flying, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know at, at 90 miles an hour, Uh, Through these race courses. So what I'm hyper focused on is making sure that we are looking at a broad demographic. So we're family friendly, we have tech enthusiasts, we have innovators, we have people that love stick and ball sports and giving them an education that this is not a hard sport to learn. Um, we don't ask for, you know, the commitment of hours upon hours or really long seasons. For us is you can engage how you want, where you want, when you want with drone racing, because we have such a diverse portfolio of areas that you can tap into. As I mentioned, on the esports side, online, Watching our broadcast. And what I want them to see is again, this is exciting, exhilarating, um, and something that they can follow in terms of getting to know our pilots, getting to understand the technology and the race courses um, for them to become fans as well.
0: Um, the barrier for esports, um, it's not that difficult. You know, if a family of means can get a system or they can get on the internet and they get their kids playing whatever the popular games are. Um, How do you go about getting drone racing into the hands of young fans so they get a familiarity with it?
2: So right now we have a number of ways. So we have our DRL SIM program that you can download on Steam. Um, We also have some exciting news that hopefully you'll invite me back um, Mm. that we could talk about in a couple of weeks when you think about bringing in um, a younger generation 90% of our fans own gaming consoles. So clearly when you think about bringing drone racing to a gaming tech savvy community, We have to ensure that we have something for them to engage with when you think about such a high percentage on the gaming side. Um, But definitely with the DRL SIM program, as well as the broadcast, we want to get this in the hands of millions of people. Um, And you're definitely going to see that in the next several weeks with some exciting news that uh, we'll be able to share with you.
0: I mean, we've seen a lot of esports with, with a lot of traditional athletes, um, especially now with all the games shut down. Is there any crossover there? Have you found any major athletes out there that are into this and, and know about this and are part of this?
2: So it's a really good question, because as you can imagine, just as I am ticking through kind of week two on the job here, my mind immediately goes to, as it's always been, it's sports. It's entertainment, it's technology, and it's being culturally relevant. So when I think about, you know, just a global footprint of millions of fans, There are those influencers. There are people that you can, you know, point to that sit courtside at NBA games that are the music community or the film and entertainment community. And I am doing the same research on this side. There is a lot of athletes um, that clearly have been flying their own drones and I have no doubt that I will be tapping into them sooner rather than later when we think about that crossover. Because clearly from a technology standpoint, when you look at um, you know athletes across all of the major sports leagues, they're younger, they're tech savvy. And again, when you think about drones, I've immediately seen so many perk up. So we're going to come out with some you know, new opportunities. We were most recently as part of the all-in challenge from a philanthropic standpoint where we got our pilots involved. And again, it's a great opportunity where our pilots sit shoulder to shoulder with other professional athletes, even having drones that they fly, they have to be gifted. Um, again, in terms of being pilots, In a different way. So I will definitely be making sure that we cross over. Um, We've also had just given, you know, from an investment standpoint, RSC Ventures, um, which own the Miami Dolphins, we've done races at Hard Rock Stadium, and there's been some nice crossover there. So more to come for sure.
0: All right, I'll leave you with this. I've been asking a lot of people in the middle of the pandemic how they are adjusting to it. Your situation is so unique in that when you started talking about this job and looking into this job, this wasn't happening. And then you walk into it and you're in the middle of a crisis. Um, How has that affected your thinking as you have started as the president of the drone racing league in the middle of COVID nineteen?
2: I am wired to always take a positive disposition on things, and It hasn't really strayed too far from how I lead and how I interact with anyone that I'm working with, but what I found is now more than ever, the health and well-being of your employees to ensure that they are feeling supported by an organization is incredibly important. So, you know, making sure that I am spending the time not just with people within my own jurisdiction, but really how can I permeate that energy throughout the rest of the company to ensure that everyone is doing okay um, and giving them something to be excited about. So for us to be able to, you know, announce that I'm joining the company, but be able to put immediate stakes in the ground like having an NBC broadcast on May 16th that I wanted to get in here. Um, When you talk about bringing something, um, you know, back, we are going to be hosting this on NBC sports on the 16th. And there's nothing that I would love more than to bring back smiles and family friendly entertainment to so many that are hurting that are at home kind of missing their livelihood around sports and that family time of rooting for their teams. Um, And now I'm going to, you know, give them something else to cheer for.
0: All right. We'll we'll get the plug in one more time. May 16th, (laughs) NBC Sports, the Drone Racing League will be profiled there. That's Rachel Jacobson. She's the president of the Drone Racing League. Thank you so much for joining
2: us. Be safe, be well. Thank you. That was great.
0: The interview with Rachel Jacobson took place with Blinder, a high-level video platform that is broadcast quality. And in a time where journalists and creators need solutions, here it is. And we're going to talk to their CEO, Ross McConnell, next. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3 Advance, so let's take a moment to thank our friends at 3 Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers. Their user experience and cloud expertise has helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups, including Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. So if you're looking for a development partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen, and advance you will. That's the number 3advance.com, and tell them Future Sports sent you. Uh, So we're all stuck inside, figuring out a way to connect with one another. Um, And there are a lot of video chat services that are out there that are ready for use. And thanks to the good folks at Blinder and Ross McConnell, their CEO, who is joining us via their platform. Hey, Ross. Um, We can connect even halfway around the world. You're in New Zealand and I'm right outside of Washington, D.C. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Pleasure. Thanks for having us here.
0: Um, Tell me a little bit about Blinder. What do you guys do?
1: So we're a video interview platform that makes it incredibly easy easy for journalists to connect with any news source anywhere in the world through any mobile device and capture a video of the conversation for them to share with their audience. We started out with an audio platform a few years ago that was really targeted at high profile teams in sports and entertainment. My co-founder is a guy called uh, Kaylee Wilson. He was the communications manager at the New Zealand Rugby League. It was his job. To put journalists in touch with his athletes to get their story told around the world, he was because he was based in New Zealand. He had athletes uh, playing professional rugby league in places like Australia and the United Kingdom. He was in, he was he was dependent on the phone interview to to get those stories told, and he was he became increasingly frustrated at how difficult it was to make his athletes available to the media, um, be, mainly around privacy concerns. So. Uh, you know, some of his athletes were nervous about talking to the media, they didn't want their phone numbers shared, they didn't want to be putting themselves permanently on call. Uh, and Kaylee really just wanted an easy way to make his athletes available to the media without sacrificing their privacy. So what we did is we, uh, we created Blinder, uh, can be used by communications managers at those high profile teams. They schedule a call just like putting a, a, an appointment in their digital calendar. Uh, and then it allows the journalists to dial straight through to those athletes on their own mobile phones without ever knowing their number uh, and record the conversation so that it can be used for digital content. So we made we started out making the phone interview incredibly easy. And then uh, late last year, we looked at how we can make the video interview just as easy as a phone call as well. And that's how we're talking to each other now.
0: So give me some differentiators. Like clearly Zoom is being used widely in the United States right now by everybody. What makes Blinder different?
1: Yeah, well, so in broadcast media, we actually see Skype used more often. So so Skype has been set up for use. You know, you you were at ESPN. I know that ESPN uses Skype from the main control room in, in Bristol, Connecticut, to to interview people through video. Um, One of the the main advantages that we've got, and it comes back to our roots with with just plain old audio phone interviews, is how easy we make it for the talent on the far end of the interview. They don't have to download any new accounts. They uh, They don't have to log into anything to do a video call. As you've just experienced, they get a text message with a short link. It opens a video conversation, much like a FaceTime call in their browser, They don't have to download any software so we've made we've focused on making it incredibly easy for the talent to join uh to join a blinder video interview um or that might be a remote news source of of any type you know and we've crossed over into current affairs as well so that's a differentiating factor the other one and if you compare it with uh zoom for example is that we deliver broadcast quality recordings so after this call you're going to get an hd recording of our interview, it's going to have both sides of the interview recorded independently. So you've got a lot of flexibility with what you do with that recording and post production. Uh, And we've also made it easy for broadcasters to do live and as live calls. And so all of that capability exists out of the box. So you can, you know, sign up to a Blinder, a Blinder account, uh, activated in minutes and be doing, uh, you know, broadcast quality, uh, pre-recorded interviews or, or go live with these calls in a matter of minutes. Uh, and this is right mobile
0: mobile too. I could do this through right. my phone. I could like, if I need if something's breaking news. Yep. I want to get somebody on, I'm only on my phone wherever, when we can That's go right. outside again, wherever right we are, um, yep. I can do this on my phone.
1: I'm, I'm doing this on my iPhone 11 now. Um, so yes, you can do it on any device with a microphone and camera. And a and a broadband connection, obviously. So so that's another aspect of it. So you know, people think about FaceTime. Well, FaceTime is you know specific to to the iPhone platform. Um, any any mobile device or laptop with a with a camera and a microphone, and you can you can connect a blind video interview to it. So we, um, we like to say we're we're taking we're taking video journalism to the edges of the world. It's taking it out of the control room, out of the broadcast studio, putting that capability uh, into the hands of of any journalist or content producer in the world.
0: I'll take me through the tech for a moment, because listen, everyone has used Skype, uh, Skype, and and I agree with you that it is not. As far as broadcast quality, the best thing that could be put on the air for the broadcasters, right. it's great for connectivity. It's not great in terms of quality and what viewers are accustomed to seeing and hearing when they get on air. Um, what were you all able to solve to get a better quality of the recording so that it could be used for the purpose of actual broadcast?
1: Well, the, the recordings, uh, for a start, the recordings are are seven twenty p. So it's it's HD quality. Uh, look. It, any video call is going to be dependent on the quality of the connection that you can get, right? And so, uh, what we spend a lot of time doing with our clients is just coaching them that you know when you when you connect a call, you don't have to start you know the interview straight away. Spend a little bit of time um, optimizing the connection. If it does, if things are coming through a bit grainy, uh, you know, try the if, and the and the uh, and the interview e is on. Wi-Fi, then try, try the four G connection because you might get a better result than that. So, so every platform, video interview platform, is going to be subject to those kind of variabilities, right? Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of things working in our favour at the moment. Connectivity is getting better. Five G is just going to make an amazing difference in this industry. The devices are all getting better as well. So, you know, I've just upgraded from an iPhone six, which was pretty archaic. To to an iPhone 11, the camera so is much better. Yeah. <laughs> so did I. And, 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 I. Did that like and, right
0: before the virus hit? I did that.
1: <laughs> right. So great timing. Right. So yeah. I did exactly the same thing just in time, and I've been doing a few of these interviews now, and I get a better result from the from the iPhone 11 now than I do off my MacBook Air in terms of the quality of the camera, um, and and just the you know the the hardware that it's got built into it. So everything's moving in the favor of of continuing to get better quality video content from a mobile environment. So, you know, we're, we're trying to w- ride that wave, no doubt.
0: Do you see this potentially as the future of a sports press conference, that instead of traditionally how they've done this in the past, where they bring athletes into a room or to a podium or wherever they go, that they have the opportunity to turn this into a mobile experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I... You would know better than I do because you've probably been in a few more of those press conferences yourselves. I don't think the athletes are particularly comfortable or enthusiastic about them. And what we've seen actually since uh, everyone went into isolation here in New Zealand, I shared some content with you before this call, Brad. You know, programs that are actually being done where the only thing that the athlete has got is a mobile phone in their hand. And it's like they're doing a FaceTime conversation with a friend. The, the, the athletes, the talent, they're far more relaxed in that type of environment. They haven't got a camera poked in their face or or a press pack sitting sitting in their living room. Um, you know I, I think you' you're getting far better insights and more engagement from the talent when they' when they're in a, a a less threatening environment, shall we say? So absolutely I see this as being being something that you're going to see a lot more of in the future
0: i mean listen and and broadcast outlets are dealing with all sorts of financial crimps not even with what's going on right now with the virus but with cord cutting and all sorts of things that are happening Absolutely. um in their yeah. marketplace this could be money saving for them this is a possibility to solve a problem of people equipment time all of that
1: well and just response time to breaking news stories right so you know i think the mindset has been how do we get a crew out to this breaking story uh, and you know it's a fairly morbid example, but one the last big news in New Zealand was the uh, eruption of Fakati White Island, the, uh, just off the coast of New Zealand, um, where where there were a number of very unfortunate deaths. But you know we had eyewitnesses on boats next to the island with that eruption going on. They were breaking the news story through Twitter with their own videos that they were taking um and you know how do how do the news outlets actually get access to those those type of eyewitnesses as quickly as possible it's going to be through connecting connecting with them through twitter being able to get a video interview link out to them through twitter because that's the only way you the the only mechanism through which you're in contact they can do that with blinder now um and and it's it's far more authentic content i think and far more far quicker response time than getting a a a camera crew which is the traditional way of doing things yeah
0: um so um in in, i want to ask about you're doing a program which is called isolation nation which you know taking advantage of the right is the wrong way to put that because of what's going on right now but yeah you are seeing an opportunity here to try to do some original content why don't you tell us about what you're doing with that
1: well we're supporting isolation nation they use they use blinder video to uh to create a lot of the program. so that's a a thirty-minute program that goes out twice a week on on Sky Sports, which which is the broadcast rights holder for professional rugby in New Zealand, and uh, and the Super Rugby competition, which was in in progress, I think it was about two or three, no, maybe five weeks into uh, its season, uh, when everyone got put into lockdown, and so that competition isn't happening anymore, and so the broadcast the broadcaster is looking for creative ways to to get original content. And at the same time, you've got all of these professional athletes that are in lockdown as well. They're at home, and so what they've done, and I think they've done a fantastic job of it, is they've created this show called Isolation Nation, and and the host is uh, is Kirsty Stanway, and she's recording it from home through Blinder. She's the she's the interviewer or the host, and she's on one end of a Blinder inter- video interview, and she is speaking to professional rugby athletes, including uh, high-profile All Blacks. Who are on the other end of the interview, and what we're also seeing is former All Blacks talking to current All Blacks, um, and and basically they're just putting a thirty-minute show together through these one-to-one conversations that they're having on Blinder. And and what's great about it is we're seeing our you know sporting heroes in a whole new environment. They're far more relaxed. They're sharing insights about their day-to-day lives that I think are impre- unprecedented yeah. prior to this time. Um, And I'm really hoping that it's something that carries on when normal programming resumes, shall we say, it's kind of like, how do we, how do you unscramble once, once you've given the audience a taste of that type of content, I think it's going to be quite difficult to take it away from them afterwards, because it really is engaging stuff.
3: yeah
0: Yeah. um for blinder it it sounds like that the broadcast medium was a directive for you and it was a goal for for this Mm -hmm. outlet do you have a broader vision where this is being utilized a la zoom where this is not just really directly meant to be used in this particular way
1: no we we're really quite focused on um helping our customers to create memorable conversations is what we say right so Memorable means you can record them and you can edit them and you can publish them or you can or you can broadcast them live. And so that's really our core focus. And so, you know, we, our, our core technology at the moment supports one-to-one interviews. And that's where we've been perfecting what we do. Um, what we're doing next is multi-party interviews. A lot of our broadcasting partners have said we really want to be able to get two or three people on an interview at a time. But our, our our strong focus is on uh, on that on capturing content that can be broadcast or published online, right? So so I think really the vision that we've got is is what I said before, is about taking video journalism to the edge of the world, right? So it's taking it out of the control rooms in places like Bristol, Connecticut, and putting that capability into the hands of any journalist or any content producer, wherever they may be. And giving them the ability to talk to any news source in any part of the world, uh, whether it's from DC to New Zealand, or uh, I'm not sure whether it gets much further than that, mate. Um, but uh, you know, th- this type of capability, giving you the uh, the opportunity to speak to anyone in the world, regardless of where they may be, on what device they're on, or or what type of platform they're they're familiar with using, you can get an you can get a have a conversation and capture the content from it.
0: And at this juncture, editing would have to take place on a secondary platform, right? That I'd have to edit the video in another place.
1: Yeah, but the the thing is, so so what we're seeing with with media teams is that they've got multiple uh, people on their team with access to the same account. The journalist yeah. will be doing an interview with a remote news source. As soon as that interview's done, the video is processed. The, the video editor can go and download those files, take it away to whatever video editing uh, tool they prefer to use and create that finished content. Yep. So, yeah.
0: I'll let you go with this. I mean, you're halfway around the world. So um, I know what we're dealing with in America. How is life in New Zealand? What's going on right now?
1: Yeah, well, so we're under what what the government have referred to as level four alert. uh, And that means that we're all uh, in lockdown in our bubbles. um, And the you know, one of the advantages for New Zealand at the moment is that we've got this massive moat around us called the Pacific, o- South Pacific Ocean. Um, so it's one of the benefits of being a small isolated nation is that we can take control of the situation pretty quickly. So we've quarantined the borders. Anyone who crosses the border into New Zealand is, has a compulsory two-week uh, quarantine. And the strategy of the government is to uh, is is elimination. So we're trying to eliminate coronavirus from the country at the moment, and um, and I think the borders will be quarantined for a good while yet, because what we're probably waiting for uh, is is a vaccine that uh, that will protect everyone um, before we can go open the borders up completely again.
0: Our ship has sailed on closing the borders, but well, we are also difficult. hoping we are also hoping that one day we'll either have a vaccine or something that gets rid of this thing for good. And yeah. Then, uh, yeah.
1: Well, look, I'll take my hat off to to the the leadership in New Zealand. Um, they've had a bit of practice with with these types of crises uh, just the, yeah. during this administration, and uh, the leadership has been clear in terms of what generally clear in terms of what their objectives are, and uh, and with their instructions to the population, and 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 it feels like everyone's pulled in together to to take the control of the situation. We've certainly seen the number of new cases drop off dramatically. Uh, It looks like we'll revert back to level three uh, in a week's time, uh, which means we have a little bit more freedom. Some of the kids will be able to go back to school. Uh, Construction work will be able to resume and that sort of thing. And hopefully we can start putting our economy back to work gradually with the confidence that we know what to do if there's another outbreak.
0: So. Hopefully we'll get our new cycles back and we'll get our sports back. We'll get that as well. Hopefully that that happens in the very 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 near future. Yeah, Hopefully. yeah,
1: it's uh yeah, it's all it's all feeling a bit like uh, groundhog day at the moment, isn't yeah, it? it what, is. what are you seeing? What are you seeing over there, Bram? You uh, what's the response been like so, in your part of the world? I know it's like very so, state to state.
0: You know, obviously it's it's very different in different regions of the country and mm um it you know the messaging is very different dependent where you are if you're in california they're very strict about a lot of the things that are going on in new york where it's really bad outbreak but they feel like it's plateauing uh Mm -hmm. that governor is being very strict about what they're doing and there's places like florida that are talking about opening things up for business now and waited a long time to close beaches and allowed spring breakers to continue to party so it really depends on what part of the country you are (laughs) and and so that's uh, but welcome to america where we don't listen to anybody and (laughs) (laughs) and take no instruction from anybody no matter what your qualifications are so that's that's,
1: we'll we'll work uh, as a team and we'll do it my way (laughs) that's right exactly Uh,
0: ross McConnell is the ceo of blinder thanks so much first of all for letting us use your platform to tape this interview and it was uh it was a pleasure thank you
1: yeah yeah thanks bram and you're welcome to use it anytime
0: Check out clips from our interviews with Ross McConnell and Rachel Jacobson at the Future Sport website, F U T R S P R T. And that will do it for us this week. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by Three Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI powered and UX focused.